singing like that, you'd be blowing the windows out, amen? <laughs> amen. That's one of those blessings that the Lord gives us. We are a small church body, but the singing has always been phenomenal. Amen? It has been great. If you have a Bible tonight, Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to take one verse. I'm going to do what the Southerners do. I'm just not going to throw a fit. Amen? I'm going to take one. Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm going to take one verse, and I'm going to try to preach it uh, in the historical and practical context in which it's given. Nehemiah chapter 4. We've been preaching through the book of Nehemiah. I know it's like a divine break right in between Joshua and 1 Samuel. And so you're probably itching like, okay, we've got to go back to 1 Samuel. We'll get there. I'm almost done. i got a few more in, in, the, in the sermon barrel that the Lord's been giving me. Amen. On Nehemiah, uh, they should be a blessing, hopefully, maybe, please. <laughs> Anyways, uh, now that you found Nehemiah chapter 4, I'll have you stand one more time. We'll read verse 10. Verse number 10, Nehemiah, if you can, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Bible says, And Judah said, The strength of the bears of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. I want to preach for a little bit here tonight about removing the rubbish. We've been here before. Uh, for some of you, this is not your first rodeo in this chapter, uh, and as far as digging deep internally, I'll try to preach this uh, the best that I can and give you something from the Word of God. Hopefully, it will encourage you, not only encourage you, but hopefully, it will challenge you. Amen? Dad, good to see you here tonight. Would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching? Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. Now, um, what you heard about the Williams, I hope you uh, make a note of that to pray. Uh, uh, just when you think about them, make sure you pray that the Lord get them over to Japan safely. Um, it's a blessing to me to know that when he came and he was pastor in Whittemore, he got up in that pulpit and he might not be how we are and he might, whatever, whatever that even means, right? But he got up there and he began to preach the authority of the King James Bible, and they done threw him out. And when I found out he was uh, going to be a missionary, I said, hey, we got to talk. I said, I'm going to bring you back to a painful part of the world. You probably don't want to be back. And uh, it's a blessing to be able to pick him up a little bit, amen, and get him over there. He's a good man. He's a solid man, and uh, he's got a great family. And uh, he might be short, but, man, he's one of them jujitsu things there. He is. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. I'd probably turn you into a pretzel or something, you know what I mean? But, uh, but you pray for uh, Brother Williams and his family that they... Uh... They can do the work God wants them to do. <clears throat> well, here we are, Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah and the people are beginning to move forward tirelessly. They've realized what's before them, and now they get right after it. Amen. There's nothing like seeing a task in front of you, identifying it, and rolling up your sleeves and just digging in. I mean, that's a great way to go about it. Uh, as a kid, uh, I would see the task like filling the wood, and I would hate it. I would hate it. I would despise it. And I'm such an idiot. What do I do with my spare time? I cut wood. <laughs> I split wood and I stack wood and I enjoy it. But as a kid, I hated it. And the best thing I found out about filling the wood is if you just get after it, it gets done quicker. So here Nehemiah and the people, they get right after it. But you know what? They're focused perfectly. Uh, they have a great mind to work. Amen. Which is wonderful. And God's people have a great mind to work. But you realize here in verse 10, the work comes to complete stop and they can't do what God wants them to do. And the alarming reality of this passage 
uh, historically is that they're trying to work around a bunch of junk. They're trying to work down a broken down city and all the busted down walls and all the debris and the Bible correctly calls it rubbish. <laughs> you know, I'd call it uh, garbage, but it's rubbish. And uh, these things are, are, are just in the way. They're slapping away, and it's not like they're just a couple pieces of papers. I mean, there's parts of walls, there's parts of buildings. And if you know anything about building, uh, it is really nice to have everything cleared off, a nice poured foundation, and then you can get on and get doing what you need to do. But if you're trying to pour a foundation and you've got, you know, half a building in the way, you can't do it. It's just a mess. And I, wanna, I, want, I want you to see probably what many of you already know, but the Holy Spirit has a lot to teach us about the garbage, about the rubbish in your life as a Christian. Now, there's something about being a Bible believer, and I'm thankful that I'm a Bible believer. I'm a Bible believer long before I'm a Baptist, but because I believe the Bible, it makes me a Baptist, okay? Now, look, I'm not here to debate denominations, but the more I read the Bible, I'm glad I'm a Baptist. Baptist is the only denomination that ever stood against Rome. Praise the Lord, pass the chicken. <laughs> but here's the thing. The more you read your Bible, it's like a spotlight, you know, and the older I get, the more light I need, or I got to get stronger glasses. But the brighter the light is, the more you can see what's in the way. I've given this illustration before. Uh, you can have one of the cleanest or neatest looking rooms in the house when the curtain's drawn on a sunny day. Draw back them curtains and watch the millions and millions of dirt and dust particles fly through the air. You say, how do you clean the room? Well, you can close the light, you can close the curtains and ignore it's not there. Or you can clean the dirt. You say, how do you do that? Oh, I guess you have to get an air purifier, right? Something like that. But here I want to preach a little bit about removing the rubbish, removing the rubbish. And it's really important in the Christian life that you not only remove the rubbish, which is the obvious answer, right? You've got to get stuff out of the way. But here I'm going to, I want to try to get across here tonight, if I can, is the most difficult job you'll have in your Christian life is actually identifying the rubbish. Because the more you're in a certain location, uh, you ever lost your car keys in the house? And you've looked for an hour. Or maybe it's your wallet. But you're so familiar with the surroundings, you're so familiar with those two junk drawers that you have, right? And, and it's, it's, you know it's in there. But identifying the thing that needs to go seems to be the difficult part in the Christian life. So I'd like to preach just a little bit about that here. And before you and I attempt to build anything for God, this is a very powerful lesson in this chapter. Before you and I try to build a life for Jesus Christ, which is the right thing to do, before you and I try to build a work, a ministry for Jesus Christ, we have to remove those things that are in the way. And it's best done before, instead of trying to wait until you're slap in the middle and everything's got to come to a complete stop. Well, let me show you here, first of all, when it comes to removing rubbish, this is real simple. There's only three points might be more of a thought than a message. I'll give you number one here. I want, to, I want you to see its manifestation in verse 10. One verse, that's all I'm going to preach. I'm going to give you a bunch of others. We'll turn to a few, but in the text, I want to preach about its manifestation. And uh, let me say this, locating the problem can be difficult. Uh, many Christians will sit in a church house midweek service. By the way, I agree, Brother Cole. Um, although I was thinking, you were thinking of you know, being disappointed uh, this morning, because sometimes I get disappointed. Oh, I got church tonight. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's, uh, it's difficult to locate the problem. And a lot of Christians will sit in a church, and they'll say amen, and they mean well, they love God, but there's problems, and they can't identify it. And if you go out the door, and you don't go out better than you came, you got to ask yourself, why did I come? Well, I came because, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's my duty. Okay, I like duty. That's a good reason to come. Well, I came because I want to come to church. That's the right reason, amen. But you ought to come also so the Lord can help you identify the problems. And a lot of times those problems don't manifest on their own, do they? You need some supernatural help to show you what the problem is in your life. Now, you come to church like, preacher, I mean, I'm here though. Yeah, you're right. We all got problems, amen. Everyone's got two armpits and they will occasionally stink unless... You're like some people and you just like live in deodorant city, which is good. 
I think some people need to tell eighth graders about deodorant, amen? That ought to be a mission for two, <laughs> sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Vote deodorant, you know, <laughs> just because I'm around them. But locating the problem can be different. Look at Psalm 139 with me. So honestly, in your desire to live for the Lord and to build a life, you've got to be asking the Lord to identify that problem. And you might be here tonight, and you honestly don't think you have any problems. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you just haven't opened up the curtains lately. Fair enough. We know that the entrance of thy word giveth light. That's Psalm 119, 130. But you're going to have to ask the Lord in Psalm 139 like David did. And he said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Well, that's a dangerous statement, isn't it? I just be real straight with you. That's a tough statement because you know yourself pretty good. And then when you ask the Lord who knows you better than your mother does to search you, that is a, man, I'll tell you, when you ask the Lord to search you and you mean it, he's going to do a search. And he's going to search you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. He's going to search everything about you. He's going to search what you've searched for. Amen. He's going to search what you said. He's going to search what you've done. He's going to search your motives. But you need to realize that sometimes locating the problem can be difficult. You realize that every problem in the Christian life that we could equivocate as rubbish has got a root. Every problem's got a root. Just like every weed, I know you call it grass, but your yards are all weeds, you know. <laughs> Unless you planted it, and then you're highfalutin, amen. <laughs> My yards is all weeds. We just mow weeds, and it looks pretty good, amen, you know. But uh, every problem's got a root. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. We'll turn a couple places here, try to get established in the message and try to make some applications here. But locating that problem in the Christian life can be difficult. The big problems are easy. The big problems are easy. The big problems are big pieces of the buildings, like in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, but some of them problems are hard to locate, but every problem does have a root. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Every problem's got a root. And whether or not your problem tonight is bitterness, I don't know. I just say bitterness is probably uh, one of those problems in the Christian life that is a catch-all for all Christians. We've all struggled with bitterness. I've struggled with bitterness. I've struggled with bitterness in the last 30 days. And if you don't admit it, that's fine. I know better. I'm a human being, and so are you. <laughs> we all struggle with bitterness, thinking that we should be treated better than we do, uh, thinking that people owe us things when they really don't, having disappointments because we have expectations of other people, and we get bitter about that stuff, and we live with it for so long, we don't even realize we have the problem. And then you try to enjoy a Sunday service, and you're just cantankerous inside, and you're like, I don't know what the preacher's problem is. He's just preacher real dud. Or you just got the root going down, and the root's right around your heart, and it's constricting your spiritual uh, circulation. So sometimes you've got to ask the Lord to identify the problem. Do you, do you even know what your problem is? <laughs> Remember when your parents would say, what is your problem? As for a kid, I'm like, I've got all kinds of problems. And my parents keep asking me, what is your problem? <laughs> I'm thinking, well, my parents know everything. I think they know exactly what my problem is. <laughs> but here's the thing. You've got, every problem's got a root, and you've got to get rid of the wrong root so you can be left with the right root. Can I show you what the right root is? Here's just a great cross-reference. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Now you know what the right root is. This is uh, nothing... Uh, groundbreaking or earth-shattering, but every problem, every weight, and many times every sin has a root, and that has to be identified, and you've got to get rid of the root, because back where we just were, those roots, they trouble you, don't they? They not only trouble you, but they're going to trouble others. Now, we know that. That's common knowledge, but the fact is, because we have so many problems in the Christian life, even now in Laodicea, right? We live with problems, and we've actually wore ourselves out because there's problems we haven't dealt with, and we wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we're cranky. We wonder why we're emotional. We wonder why we hear certain things, and it makes us want to cry. Now, look, here's the right root, of course, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. 
Bible says, One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. There's the right root. So when you get rid of the wrong roots, you're left with the right root. If you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, then the right root will produce the right fruit. So that's important. Every problem has a root, and you've got to get rid of the problem and be left with the right root to produce the right fruit. However, admitting the problem can be harder than locating the problem. <laughs> Amen? You and I both know that we have problems. You call it whatever you want. Uh, and, uh, but admitting that is even harder than locating it. I'm speaking from my heart and experience at the same time tonight. But admitting that you have a problem that needs to be taken care of that could be considered rubbish in your Christian life, it's, it's difficult enough to locate it, but it's harder to admit it. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, here's a fellow, David. Uh, we've been preaching a lot about David. And uh, David was one of the few men that when he got called out on something, he's like, yeah, <laughs> my bad, right? And, uh, but for whatever reason, with, with most Christians, it's really hard to admit that you have a problem. It's hard for me your preacher, to admit that I have a problem. No, I didn't say amen. We're doing all right tonight, amen. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see that? You know what he did? He didn't dance around. He didn't say, well, you know, she shouldn't have been on the roof. <laughs> well, you know, uh, everyone else is doing it. Uh, well, you know, it's one of those things, uh, it's not too bad. He just says, uh, I have sinned. And I'm telling you, it's hard enough to locate problems, and you got to nip them at the root, but when you, when you locate them, the difficulty really is found in admitting them. Can I, can I give you some illustrations? Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 4. As a Bible believer, <clears throat> what you're going to have to be aware of, okay? This is a big problem, <laughs> in our circles. The big problem is thinking because we love God and we have the King James Bible that we we're just we're good. I'm golden. But can I tell you what? You have more to give account for than the church in town that don't believe the book. It's easy to go, well, they don't believe the Bible, so you know, they're just a bunch of devils. No, you believe the Bible, you claim to believe the Bible, so the Lord says to whom much is given, much shall be required. It's easier for you to have problems because you proclaim truth. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, notice what the Bible says here, a very familiar passage, and I want to give you like three illustrations here real quick that us as Bible believers, you're going to have to constantly ask the Lord to show you if you've got a problem in this area. In my opinion, these are probably three of the the top problems that Bible believers have. And I'll call this one dead but not alive. <laughs> I'll explain in a minute. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 4. Bible says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Baptism is just a picture, not telling you that a baptism has anything to do with salvation, because it don't. We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like, there's the similitude, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So if you read that verse and you're honest with yourself, there's really two parts to the Christian life is laid out in that verse. You are to be dead with Christ, amen? That would include what? Dead to self, dead to your flesh, dead to the world, amen? Dead to the devil. I mean, those are your three biggest enemies right there. So a lot of Christians, they excel in that. They got their flesh under control. They hate the world. Amen. Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him, right? They're against the lust of the flesh and the pride of the life and the, everything everyone's doing wrong and mad, it's just wicked and all that. And they're dead. They got the dead in Christ down. Amen. You still with me? Dead in Christ, right? Oh, it's a blessing. You ought to be dead in Christ today. But that's only half the Christian life. We should walk in newness of life. 
So while a lot of Bible believers, they're like, they got the whole, they got their self under control, they're against this, they're against that, they've got a code of conduct, amen, which is good, they've got their own standards, but they don't bury themselves in the Bible, they don't try to win souls to Jesus Christ, they don't go out and try to be a servant to others, you see what I mean? That's the part about being alive. I've just saved the illustration there as dead but not alive. I'm saying it's hard to locate the problem. You and I have been, most of us have been raised to believe that Bible is the Word of God from cover to cover, including the cover. And a lot of times you get to thinking that because if you're against the world, if you're against things that are wrong, and you're against things that are wicked, then, it, then you must be all right. You, you and the Lord are like you and coach, you know what I mean? Just like that. But that's only half the Christian life. That's being dead in Christ. You got it down, all right. But what about the other part? Are you trying to get through that Bible like you should? That's the part being alive. Are, are you trying to reach other people to Jesus Christ? Are you trying to make a somewhat of an effort? You see what I mean? That's the part that's being alive. Now, that's what you got to ask God to show you. That's the first part. That's dead. You're dead in Christ. But a lot of Christians aren't alive. They're not, they're not alive in Christ. Well, let me give you another one. Look at uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'll call this one uh, dead but not increasing. Dead but not increasing. You know, this is a simple verse here. And listen, you and I, we need to be against sin. I'm not minimizing it. We need to preach against sin. We need to preach on how real hell is. Amen. Jesus Christ, if you take the... The appearances of hell in the scripture preached about on hell at least three times a year. He preached nine times in three and a half years. You ought to hear a message on hell probably two to three times a year if you follow the scriptures. But here's the thing. Notice this passage. You understand this passage, I believe. What does it say? He must increase, but I must, of course, talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, but let's take a practical application of that thing. He must increase. Isn't that first? Okay, but the Christian life, a lot of times as a Bible believer, someone who has come up in the ranks of believing the Bible, they get kind of cockeyed on that thing and think that they are thriving when all they're doing is decreasing. And then you're, you're alive, or you're dead, but you're not increasing. So you're cutting off all the bad. Like we said before, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't go here, you don't do, go there. But you know what you're not doing? You're not letting him increase in you. So you've cut all the bad off your life. And you know what you are? You're a dead tree. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. See, identifying that problem can be difficult. It can be very difficult. I'm trying to help you uh, think right in the Christian life. We often think that we're like clean as a hound's tooth, the old preacher said. I don't know how clean a hound's tooth is, but I wouldn't want to stick my hand in his mouth. Amen? But a lot of time, there's a lot of decay around the tooth. And you've got to ask the Lord to search you on that stuff. Why? There's a lot of rubbish in the Christian life you need to take care of. You're not, you're not going to be able to build a solid life for Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to build the life that, that build that work for Jesus Christ that goes through if you're dealing with a bunch of rubbish, a bunch of garbage, trying to work around that thing. Here's the last one. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Here's the last illustration, recognizing the problem. I, there's, I'm sure there's more. But as a Bible believer, I'm thankful to be a Bible believer. But listen, you can't rest on your loyals just because you claim to believe the Bible. There's a tendency by Bible believers, because they take such a strong stand on the Word of God, and you should... But there's a tendency to err in balance because you're so strong, quote, unquote, on the book. I'm strong on the book. Go ahead and, you know, criticize it in front of me. You'll find I can't shut my mouth either. But look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I want to read it how a lot of Bible believers probably have perceived it at least a time or two in their life. This I say then... Stop doing the bad things that are wrong, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. <laughs> you say, well, that's stupid, probably because I said it, amen. But let's read it right. 
This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's the thing here. You can be alive but not filled. You can be alive but not filled. A lot of times a Christian, you know what you do? You say this. I know I'm not doing, I'm not where I should be. I, I know I should do better. We say, I hate hearing that. Well, if you know it, do it. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But do you realize what that Bible just told you? That the way you stop doing the things that are your problems, the way that you stop getting hooked up with the garbage that's messing you up, is not by trying to stop it, but it's by doing the right. If you focus, when the Word of God is preached or read, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, you got a mouth that won't quit, preacher. Or yeah, you got the wrong attitude there. And yeah, you've been looking at things that, my, my, you, you ought to be in hell right now for that. Instead of going, okay, I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to quit. No, 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 no. Stop right there. Let him increase. And then go ahead and start immediately by begging God to let you be filled with the Spirit so you can walk in the Spirit. Conviction to stop sinning is great, but you have to put that into action and you have to allow the Spirit of God to fill you. And then when he fills you, you immediately, not tomorrow... Not when you're faced with the temptation, you immediately begin to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust. I'm telling you, identifying the problems can be difficult. But when they're identified, you've got to do something about it. You've got to do something about it. Now, we tend to like the rubbish we're around, amen? We tend to like the problems that we have. It gives us definition. Look at 1 Samuel 25. You know, a lot of people know you more because of the problems you have than because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that weird? Some people are known for their great sense of humor. <laughs> Some people are known for their terrible sarcasm. Not to get so quiet there. Good night. <laughs> Just preaching, just having fun, you know. Some people are known because they're always cranky, right? Like, oh boy, here comes so-and-so. It's a real joy when they leave, <laughs> you know. Some, I mean, I'm telling you, you sometimes, you don't even realize it, but you are known for what your problems are. Always upset about something. Always, always on a high or always on a low. Now look at this thing. This is about Nabal. Remember Nabal? Uh, he was a real party, uh, party animal here. He was a real ball to be around, you know what I mean? First, yeah, see, you got that. First Samuel chapter 25, look at verse number 25, 25. 25, 25. Now here's Abigail, she's a sweetheart. She goes, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name. And folly is with him. You know what his name means? It means folly. They knew Nabal by his problems. You ever wonder how people know you? I'm telling you, your problems are difficult to identify. They're even more difficult. They're difficult to locate. They're even more difficult to admit. But then once you see what they are, you usually find out that you're attached to it. It defines who you are. I've done a lot of uh, thinking over the last uh, couple years. Uh, I love to cut wood. I know you're probably tired of hearing that, but it's just in me. But do people know me because I like to cut wood? Or do people know me because I'm a preacher or I'm a Christian? You see what I mean? I'm not saying you can't have likes or dislikes. But Paul said uh, that uh, the only thing he knows is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I know nothing except Christ crucified. Now you can be like that. Look at Genesis chapter 32. We tend to like the rubbish we're around. It gives us a definition. It gives us a personality. Some people are known for their bitterness, their sarcasm, their rudeness, their rough and tough. You know, right? You know some people, they're just rough and tough. I'm a Second Amendment guy. Yeah. I like guns. Okay, great, you know. So when, when the government comes, they'll shoot you first, amen? I think they're going to shoot the guy with less guns last. I really do, you know? You like guns? Great. I like guns too. I can't afford the ammunition, but anyways. 
And uh, so you might be that ornery guy, that rough guy. How about this? You might be the legalistic person, right? It's got one more standard than everybody else. That's a problem. Because then it becomes all about you. Well, we don't, we don't let our women wear pants. Well, hopefully they got something on. Right? I'm serious. You say, that's, just, that's rude. No, that's reality, people. There are people that are known because they're just legalists. And uh, if you don't live like they do, uh, well, you know what? You're kind of like substandard. Amen. That's a problem. That's a problem. You know what that is? It's a bunch of rubbish. It's a bunch of rubbish. It's going to keep you tied up. It's going to wear you out. Now, here in uh, Genesis chapter 32, 28, you know, if you admit your problems, God can deal with you. If you admit your problems, God can change you. All right, look at Genesis 32, 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And you find out over there in verse 32, not only does God change his name, but God changes his walk. You say, why did he do that? You know what he, well, you know what the Lord asked Jacob to do? He said, hey, what's your name? And he couldn't lie this time, could he? See, he lied to his daddy before. What's your name? Oh, I'm Esau. <laughs> no, you're not, you stinking liar. So then when he's wrestling with the angel, you know what the angel's trying to do? He's trying to get you to admit who you are. So he says, what's your name? He's like, yeah, I'm Jacob. You got me in an arm bar or a chicken wing or something like that. And uncle, uncle, you know, my name's Jacob. Once you admit who you are, God can change you and not only change your name, but then he changed how you walk. Look at verse 32. He halts on his thigh, doesn't he? He can change your name if you're willing to admit that you have the problem, and he can change how you walk. Of course, we're, we're spiritually applying it. You see it? Change your name and change your walk. Give you a walk that's pleasing to God. Give you a walk that's closer to God. Give you a walk that's powerful, right? He has prevailed. It's all in there. What? What, preacher? If I'm willing to admit, not to me, but to God, that you have a problem. Or, if you go back to 1 Samuel 25, 25, if you don't want to admit it, you can just go ahead and die with your problems. Right? Nabal. As his name is, so is he. Guess what he does a couple verses later? He strokes out, man. He got hard and bitter. And the Lord's like, you're done. Killed him. You say, that's a, that's, a, that's a little dramatic. I didn't write the Bible. That's Nabal. He had a problem. He was associated with his problem. His problem gave him personality. He refused to admit it. He refused to do anything about it. And when his wife, who was a sweetheart and an angel, did something about it, he was so mad, God stroked him out and he died. You see that? It all applies. Now, but when you admit the problem, it forces a decision, doesn't it? Everybody knows James 4.17. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when God brings that to your attention, thank him for it. Admit it. Say, yeah, that's me. I wonder what your name is tonight. Now, this is only point one. I thought this was going to be a lot quicker. I wonder what your name is tonight. Lie off the Bible there. I wonder what your name is. You say, what do you mean what my name is? You know what my name is. I don't know. Is your name anger? Is your name bitterness? I mean, I know my name is Jeremy, but maybe it's jerk. I don't know. What's your name? Are you willing to admit your problem? Because it's connected to you. Some people don't want to get rid of it because they take so much comfort in having a personality connected to their problem. Well, that's all about the manifestation of the problem that shows up. Well, let me give you, you got the manifestation, number one. We've got to move on here. Then I want you to see its debilitation in verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. It's a manifestation and then it's a debilitation. Verse 10 says, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Now, let me show you this here. If you look at Psalm chapter 69, just for a minute here. 
I want you to see that practically, the rubbish in our lives, it weakens us physically. I'm telling you right now, the problems that you carry around and try to live a life for Jesus Christ, and you haven't located them, or else you have and you're ignoring it, but those problems are going to wear you out. Listen, you are a tripart being. You're a body, soul, and spirit. You cannot walk around in this world, have a spiritual problem, and not end up affecting you physically. It's going to, it's going to get you. It's either going to turn into ulcers. It's going to turn into high blood pressure. You say, that's just because you uh, drink too much or whatever. No, I'm, that's not it at all. It has to do with your body as a tripart being. Those things are connected. Now look at Psalm chapter 69, verse 3 to 5. David, he's uh, crying out to the Lord, and David says, I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried, mine eyes fail, while I wait for God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, though now knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. I'm telling you what, David's sins affected him physically. David's problems affected him physically, and they're going to weaken you physically if you don't deal with them. They will slap, wear you out. You can hide for a while, and you're, sometimes your youth, you uh, seem better at camouflaging, but they will, they'll catch up to you. They're going to catch up to you. You see, because as a Christian, a lot of times you're just like, it's going to be okay. You're just trying to work through it is what you're trying to do. Now, there's a little bit of experience maybe preaching from this passage here. You ever stop and think of how often you try to just work through your problems instead of admitting them? It'll be okay, and you just ignore it. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 4, the plowing of the wicked is sin. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, the context is uh, when a man's lost, even his own, his own work is sinful. You see that? If a man does not have Jesus Christ, his very honest uh, intentions of work become sinful because he needs to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. But on a practical application, when you just try to work through everything, the very simple things in life become sin because you won't deal with what's in front of you. Now, God's been dealing with some of you on some things, and you're just like, well, you know, it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. Your blood pressure is going to go through the roof. You're going to get uh, ulcers. You're going to get sick. You're going to do something, but you need to deal with it. And the more you try to work with it and you ignore the problem, how about we ignore the elephant in the room? Why? It's caused all that rubbish. It's got to go. All those things that the Lord's identified through your Bible reading. He's identified through the preaching. He's identified through the singing. He's identified through personal fellowship. And you're like, well, you know, I'll get to that later. And the Lord's like, you keep messing around. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Not only that, but you know the verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, right? Paul says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So in the Christian life, you've got to ask yourself this question. Why would you run the spiritual race with a bunch of weights on? Were you just dumb or something? <laughs> when you were uh, trying to play basketball, you go, I think I'll strap 30 pounds around each leg. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it, right? There's the illustration. Uh, when you went swimming as a kid, you put those little uh, uh, things you blow up around your arm. You didn't say, oh, there's the Chevy. I think I'll strap myself to the Chevy and go for a swim. You see what I mean? That's the difference. Why would you go through the Christian life with weights on? But that's what we do when we don't deal with the rubbish in our lives. We go through the Christian life with weights that turn into sins. And you got to locate it, you got to identify it, and then you got to deal with it. Why? Because it's going to wear you out. And you can't do what God wants you to do. Always trying to work through it. Always alibying its existence. Remember that lawyer in the book of Luke? I mean, there's only one good reference to a lawyer in the Bible. That's Zenos. I mean, it's not really good. It's kind of neutral. Paul needed a lawyer. He's like, bring Zenos. All the rest of the references are not good. But in Luke chapter 10, you know what we know about this lawyer? The Bible says in Luke 10, 29, but he willing to justify himself. You ever stop and think that when you begin to justify yourself, you go from debilitation to denial. And you're not willing to deal with it. You're just in denial. Willing to justify yourself. Well, let me say this. Not only does the rubbish in our lives weaken us physically, but it weakens us spiritually. 
Well, in 2 Timothy, I'll move quickly, 20 verse 5, it steals our time. It steals our time. It steals our time. Uh, you might remember when Absalom tried to steal the kingdom, Joab stuck back around and was going to stick with Absalom, right? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm just taught heresy there. Forgive me there. I apologize. But David was mad at Joab because he killed his son, Absalom. So he replaced Joab with his cousin, Amasa. And Amasa was going to be the captain of the Lord's host. But you get over in 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 5 here. You know, Amasa had a problem. He had a problem. The Bible says in verse 5, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. He couldn't go. He, couldn't, he was given specific orders, but he couldn't do it. David said, I want you here on this time. And he just hung around. He just hung around. I'm telling you, it weakens you spiritually. You can't do what God wants you to do. You end up hanging around and you should be going. And Amasa was supposed to be the man for the job. David finally found his way to get rid of Joab, that murderous general, always politicking to get up to the top. And then he gives Amasa one job to do, and he don't even do it. You see what I mean? Why? Problems. Rubbish. It weakens you physically. It weakens you spiritually. He hung around. Not only does it steal our time, but it steals our treasure. It steals our treasure. Remember Jonah, right? Jonah was called to go to where? Nineveh. You know what he did? That boy went the other way. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, it cost him. Bible says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, Jonah paid the fare. You see what I mean? It weakens us physically, it weakens us spiritually. It's going to cost your treasure. It costs your time and it costs your treasure. Not only that, but it costs you something else. It's going to cost you some toughness. Amen? It's going to cost toughness. You need to be tough in the Christian life in the sense of enduring hardness. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10, the Bible says, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. You know why things in general, I'm not complaining about us here, but you know why things in general in the Christian life, churches can't get things done? Because all of its soldiers as a whole have lost its toughness. They've got so many problems. Oh, preacher, I'd love to, but I can't. I've got to stay home. I'm going to paint my big toenail, you know. I just can't do it. Paint your toenails, man. Lose your toughness. Lose your time. Lose your treasure. Lose your toughness. You're living in the most unfightingest generation. You say, why? Is it because everyone's a wimp? No, everyone's trying to wade through rubbish. If you would just clean up the rubbish, you'd be tougher spiritually for it. I mean, you can have freedom, but you're always, you know what happened? Christians, like a bunch of junk in their life, rubbish, and oh, <laughs> right? Can't do what God wants you to do. Why? You're home icing your ankle. You stepped on another pile of Legos. <laughs> you wondered what I was going to say there, didn't you? <laughs> you stepped on some more Legos. Oh, you stepped on a rusty nail. You're out for four weeks. I don't know if this is making any sense. It makes sense to me. Lose your time, lose your treasure, lose your toughness. Well, finally, how about this? It steals our triumph and thrill of victory. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I'm not trying to put the old Chevy on your back. I'm just trying to get you to think tonight. God intended for your joy to be full. He really did. He had no desire for you to walk through this world all full of sag, bag, and drag. John said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And Christians, because of so much garbage, so much rubbish in their own personal lives, they lose their triumph and the thrill of victory. They forgot what it was to be in battle and win because it's been so long. Because they've lost their physical toughness and they've lost their spiritual toughness. Well, let's finish this thing up. Finally, number three. Not only is manifestation, it's debilitation. Here's number three, it's prevention. You say, what is it preventing? All right, verse 10. It says, so that we are not able to build the wall. That's what it is in a nutshell. When you leave the rubbish in your Christian life, you're not able to build the wall. Rubbish prevents my ability to build a work for God. That's what it is. It just keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. 
Not only that, but rubbish prevents my ability to build a relationship with God. Look at John chapter 21, the last passage we'll look at tonight. John chapter 21, look at verse 15. Great passage. Puts it right over the plate. Now, as your pastor, I'm for you tonight. I'm not just trying to kick everything over. And I preach this from my heart because for years and years, I sat and heard great preaching, good preaching. But you know what? The Lord was trying to get my attention, and I was convinced because I had the King James Bible, and I wasn't doing this, and I wasn't doing that, that I was alive unto God. But you know what my problem was? Well, there's a whole bunch of them. My problem was there's rubbish in the Christian life that's got to go. That's a hard thing to deal with. John chapter 21. There's something about when you realize that you have to make changes, it's very humbling. What I've learned in the last almost 30 years, which isn't many at all, I still just feel like a pup. I don't say that like I'm somebody. It's just the last 30 years, man. It's just best to stay low. It really is. It's just as best to stay humble. Why? Because God ain't done shaping me. He ain't done changing me. I mean, just about the time I think I've actually learned something, the Lord's like, yeah, I, I, I. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that. John chapter 21, look at verse uh, number 15. He's talking to Peter. Uh, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? You say, what's this? Well, in the passage, it's the loaves, right, and the fishes. But if we can apply it like this, what the Lord's doing right now, he's going to try to do through the preaching of a fool. He's trying to get you to wonder, that garbage that you're trouncing around in your Christian life, you love that more than you love him? That's what's preventing the relationship right there. It's the garbage that the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on in your life, and he's saying this, do you love this more than me? And the only right response is what Peter said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Okay, feed my lambs. That's what he says. That's its prevention. Rubbish prevents my ability to build a work for God. Always something coming up. Always an excuse. Always a reason. Just can't, just can't seem to get it done, you know. And then finally, rubbish prevents my ability to build a relationship with God. And as you all know, that is the most important thing in the Christian life. Not how many souls you see saved, even though we're thankful for the soul that was saved. Not how many tracts you passed out, but we did count the number. <laughs> 528. <laughs> Amen? It's not about that. It's about your personal relationship with God. And you can't have the right relationship with God if you've got a bunch of rubbish in your Christian life. And everyone through this preaching over the last 45 minutes, the Holy Spirit's going, that's it. That's the rubbish. You know what it is. Just because I didn't say it from the pulpit doesn't mean it just means I'm a bad shot. The Holy Spirit's a great aim. One of the most difficult things in the Christian life is to identify all the trash that keeps you from doing the work that God wants you to do. I know it is. I've experienced. I'm, I'm trying to be better at being a trash identifier in my own life. Once you identify it and remove it, there seems to be more. Is not that the frustration? Isn't that not why you quit identifying trash? You're like, I'm just going to find more. Well, duh. Can I give you some real practical things as we're done here? Every car that you ever will buy will need maintenance the entire time that you own it. Amen? If you find one that doesn't, I want it. <laughs> Every house that you ever buy will need living maintenance done to it. Every phone that you ever purchase will require updates. Every computer, you see where I'm going with this, will require software updates. Why do you then think that a quick fix, one or two fixes, is all you need for the Christian life? Removing the rubbish in your Christian life has to be a routine thing. You should start your day, say, Lord, here I am. Put the spotlight on the rubbish. Here's the thing. If you get regular with that thing, 
you might have just little flecks of dust to get out of the way. But if you let that thing pile up, you can't do what God wants you to do. The mindset is wrong in Christianity. It's a daily thing. It's a routine duty thing. Why would we think we're better than a cell phone? Why would we think we're better than a car? Right? There's the mindset. Everything needs continual maintenance. So do you. Christian's life must forever be a daily routine of taking ourselves before the great physician and asking and begging him to check us for imperfections after we've already done what's our duty to do. Any Christian unwilling to remove the rubbish will only be able to go so far back to where I was about 12, 15 years ago. I'd gone so far. And the Lord's like, okay, you got to make a change. I'm like, I don't need to change. I got King James Bible. And after he got done laughing at me, he's like, okay, we'll stay there then. Some of you might be at a crossroads tonight. I have no idea. I'm not trying to make this over dramatic, but if you're not willing to deal with the rubbish in your life right now, you're going to stay right there. I don't want you to. I want you to be able to sing that song. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Have you sang that lately? Or have you just sang it lately? Remove the rubbish. Remove the rubbish. That is why Christians are continuously bitter with nothing else to do but criticize what someone else is doing because they're stuck in the same place, in the same rut, and God wants them to move the rubbish and move on. With those thoughts in mind, I pray that you will be found removing the rubbish tonight and the rest of this week so you can continue to build a life for Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.